Hi, hello, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. My name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD candidate in molecular medicine and a cell biology researcher. And today we're going to be discussing on Physionic, on the Physionic Podcast, we're going to be discussing kind of an introduction to senescence. So senescent cells, if you've ever heard of what senescent cells are, I'm going to go into a little bit of the science of that. Uh, This is all going to be based off of a review by, I believe, the Journal of Cell Biology uh, that kind of goes over all of the current research discussing senescence. So most likely I'll be breaking this uh, podcast up into a series of different podcasts, if that's two or three. Uh, But with this first one, I wanted to kind of introduce the idea of what senescence is as well as some factors that end up driving senescence. So to to start off, really what you have to understand is that our body is made up of two different types of cells. Bear with me, there's a lot of different types of cells, but for this discussion, there are two types of cells. Uh, There are uh, mitotic cells and there are post-mitotic cells. Mitotic cells being dividing cells, cells that start out as one and then they divide into two and so on and so forth. And then post-mitotic being cells that do do not divide any longer. Now, senescence is comes about from a situation, and we'll discuss what that situation is, or a series of situations where a cell no longer is dividing. So the body specifically stops division of these particular cells. So in cell division, again, like I said, you have a single cell and then that cell ends up going through a growth phase where it starts to produce the necessary proteins to start kind of engorging itself and start uh, growing within a single cell. And then you have DNA synthesis where it actually replicates or it makes a copy of the DNA that's made up that's within that particular cell. And then there's another growth phase that it undergoes where, and you also get a separation into the actual cell division, the actual mitosis from there, uh, where you get two sets of individual DNA copies, or one, the original template, and then the copied template. And then you get two different uh, cells. Now, that's kind of a traditional way of going about things. Now, senescence, however, is a cellular program that's initiated to actually stop that process from occurring, to stop growth, uh, which is its defining feature. Stopping division is, uh, is its defining characteristic, along with some other kind of phenotypic meaning that some things that you can actually measure, some, some kind of uh, observable differences as well from your tr- traditional classical mitotic cell, a cell that's going to continue to divide. Um, for example, like changes in autophagy, ooh, buzzword. Uh, so yeah, there are changes in autophagy with senescence as well as metabolism and tend to be pro-inflammatory. And I'll be discussing that probably more in uh, further podcasts. But for now, just know that senescence is usually associated with pro-inflammation. Um, and this idea of senescence actually came from a, a this is a long time ago, uh, I believe. Don't quote me, actually. Actually, I'm not even going to say a particular time period. At, at least 50 years ago. I'll put it that way. Uh, there was a researcher that wanted to know how long 
it would take for cells to stop dividing. So if you start out with a single cell and you allow it to divide into two cells and then you allow those cells to divide into four cells and then so on and so forth, how many passages, that's what that's called, passages or splittings or divisions can occur before the cell ends up stopping, before you get a stoppage of that, of that cell division, which would then be uh, a version of like senescence. And this limit, this limit of number of divisions was called the Hayflick limit, which was based around this researcher's name, uh, as well as another researcher as well, but it's known as the Hayflick limit. And this is the limit by which uh, a single cell can replicate over and over and over again to eventually lead to the production of many, many, many other cells. And eventually there's that stopping point, and that's the Hayflick limit. So what causes that Hayflick limit? Why would cells stop dividing? And is that really the case for all cells? Well, the answer is uh, no, it's not the case for all cells. But um, one, it doesn't apply to post-mitotic cells, so cells that, have, that are designed to stop dividing. Uh, it also doesn't happen to particular stem cells as well. Uh, but other cells do undergo this, have this Hayflick limit that's attributed to them. So why would we even have a Hayflick limit? Why would, why would our body even entertain such an option? Why not just continue to renew cells to keep producing new cells? Well, like I said, to a certain degree, our body can, uh, but to, on another level, it doesn't want to. Not that, again, your body's thinking for itself, but kind of evolutionarily speaking, it doesn't want to, uh, because this is a mechanism to avoid cancer. So cancer is the uncontrolled division of cells in a population in a way that's uh, detrimental to the body. And that's a really general understanding of cancer. But the idea there is that you have uncontrolled cell division, and probably the fastest version of cell division. So senescence is one of the most lethal ways, one of the most impactful ways to stop cancer, to avoid cancer occurring. So, and not only that, senescence also can play a factor in embryogenesis. So when we are developing as a fetus, we can have senescent cells that get formed because it, it works in concert with a process known as apoptosis, which is cell death. So think of your fingers, for example. You want to know how this, this stuff forms? You know, if you, if you have uh, like defined fingers, which most people do, that definition is, occurs by apoptosis, by cell death. So you had a kind of globular structure as a hand at one point when you were, uh, before you were born, and then particular cells in that globular structure killed themselves to allow for the formation of the actual defined fingers themselves. And senescence works in that process as well. So it, it, you can have the stoppage of growth, and then from there, those cells can end up uh, dying. Uh, as a result as well. That doesn't always happen, especially in adult tissue, but uh, it certainly can happen in embryogenesis, and it's a necessary process. It's part of the normal growth process as a fetus. In adult tissue, uh, senescence, though, is triggered by uh, cell damage, usually specifically to DNA, but other areas as well. Um, And it happens with aging quite a bit. Uh, As a matter of fact, a great example of this is if you have white hairs, 
that is usually associated with senescent cells in that region. Uh, so senescent cells accumulate with aging in tissues, and I'll be discussing that actually in uh, future podcasts uh, in more detail, but senescent cells are uh, heterogeneous across tissues. So certain tissues have a lot of senescent cells, and other tissues do not have a lot of senescent cells. So if you were to compare like muscle to your immune cells, uh, your hematopoietic cells, then you would see a discrepancy there in the number of senescent cells. Okay, so that's an introduction of what senescence is. It's essentially stopping cell growth, cell division, to, at least for one reason, one main reason, is to stop cancer from occurring. Okay, so why? <laughs> okay, why and how, how do these factors actually occur? What factors are there that actually end up driving uh, senescence? So I'm going to go over a few of them. The main one, however, is telomere shortening. So you may be familiar with what telomeres are, or you may not be familiar with what telomeres are. So let me, let me discuss this a little bit in terms of giving you a bit of background on your chromosomes, which is where your DNA is packaged up. And really, cells in the nucleus... Uh, so you have cells in the nucleus. <laughs> Look at me talk. Uh, you have a cell, and it has a nucleus. <laughs> there we go. And in the nucleus, you have all, not all, but most of your DNA. Now that DNA is then packaged up into a chromosome. And that chromosome, you may be familiar with like X chromosomes for women. You may be familiar with Y chromosomes for men. Well, there are other chromosomes as well. And those chromosomes are a packaging of DNA. There's more to it than that, but we're just going to keep it at that. Now, at the very ends of these chromosomes, of these linear packages of DNA, you have telomeres. Telomeres are DNA as well. However... They're considered non-coding DNA, meaning that if the cell were to read that section, as in put a protein, a transcription factor that uh, promotes the reading of that section of DNA, they would get nothing out of it. The cell would get nothing out of it. And there, there's no prompt for it to actually get anything out of it. So it doesn't ever bind any sort of transcription factor, a protein to read or a, a DNA reading machinery to read that section because there's no point. There, it's non-coding. So it doesn't code for any actual information. However, uh, the rest of our DNA is typically considered coding. Now, there are exceptions uh, known as introns, uh, but for the most part, uh, we'll just for this discussion, we'll say that the rest of it is coding DNA, meaning that uh, this coding DNA is exactly as it sounds. It actually has the blueprint information so that if it were read, you would actually get something out of it. The cell would then understand what to do with it. So... That's a rough idea of kind of DNA, chromosomes, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I did mention that when cells divide, they have to replicate or they have to uh, create new DNA. How does that happen? Well, that's sort of important because that's how we understand how senescence occurs. So 
this occurs through the cell sending in machinery, very loose terms here, machinery uh, known as primarily DNA polymerase, which is a protein that binds DNA, so it binds all of our DNA in, in this particular cell, and then from there it starts to copy everything, all the entire DNA strand, the entire chromosome gets, gets copied into a whole nother supposedly identical DNA strand. Now, is it necessarily identical? No, not really, but there are inc incredibly few errors that occur because there's tons of uh, backup machinery that end up checking it. The DNA polymerase itself checks its own work. Every once in a while it messes up. Um, but even when it doesn't catch those mess ups, there are other uh, machinery as well uh, that will come in and uh, get rid of those those imperfections. So overall, for the most part, it's like 99.9999999999% accurate in replicating this DNA. But that's not the point of this discussion. The point is that the DNA polymerase will bind the DNA along with other proteins like a helicase and a topoisomerase. So, so there's a variety of different proteins, but we're focused on DNA polymerase. And now you may or may not know this, but DNA is in a helical structure, meaning that it has two strands. Strand one is called the leading strand. So DNA polymerase will bind and then just start just chugging along and just start just reading it and producing another strand, no problem. It just flies right down the DNA strand and does the whole replication process, the copying process. However, uh, the other strand is also bound by DNA polymerase. However, it is handled in a different fashion. This is called the lagging strand. So the lagging strand actually requires and I don't have visuals for this necessarily, but it requires a primer, meaning a, a piece of a, uh, I guess you can call it like a template that it attaches to the DNA and then it goes off of that. The DNA polymerase will start from that template and start to uh, reproduce, copy, replicate, uh, the DNA on the lagging strand. However, it doesn't do that indefinitely. It actually stops and it has to set another primer and then it continues and goes on like that. Now, because the, the primer has to sit on a particular section of DNA, you get these areas of DNA that are uncopied. So for the most part, like 95% of the DNA is copied, but every once in a while you have these uh, these cuts as the, the primers are placed in those sections. So the DNA polymerase can't get to them and, pro and produce the, the DNA that needs to be there. So it's kind of, it kind of gets in the way. It's a blockage. So those fragments are called Okazaki fragments. And this actually poses a problem. Now, Keeping all of that in mind, allow me to introduce the problem with that. Now, normally, if you're going across the entire DNA, the, the, the coding section of the DNA, the primary section of the DNA, no problem, not a big deal. Because ultimately the primers are then removed and then a different, I believe it's a different DNA polymerase will come in and just kind of clean up 
the the everything that needs to to be uh, cleaned up all the the primer holes that were placed because the primers were there once the primers get removed the dna polymerase will come back in and kind of stitch those up and replicate those as well and then you have what's called a dna ligase that comes in which is a different protein will come in and it's almost like it solders it it's just like okay we're gonna glue this together glue this together glue this together and then you have a nice nicely laid out lagging strand which is identical to the other strand great it takes longer yes but it is functional so we're good that however is the case for the coding region of the dna however there's a problem because with telomerase which is the very end section of dna so if you look at a chromosome the very end of the chromosome is where uh, the telomeres are. So the telomere is just a cap of DNA. Again, it's non-coding, so the cell doesn't really care about it, aside from the fact that it protects the coding sections of DNA from being cut into. The reason why I say cut into is because of a problem known as the replication problem. That's what it's called in biology. So the replication problem is this issue that every time a cell divides, it cuts, it leaves behind or it cuts off a tiny bit of DNA. And that DNA that's cut off can't come from a coding DNA because otherwise that's going to lead to disastrous consequences. You'd go through one cell division or maybe two cell divisions and the the DNA, the genes, the, the coding DNA that's on the very end of the chromosome would then be, you, you couldn't read it because you would have cut off pieces of it. Uh, so you can't do that. So the, the cell has a solution of these telomeres, which are just repeat sequences of uh, nucleotides, which are molecules that make up the DNA of TTAGGG. Uh, so it just continues to, to create those four, those, I said four, uh, those six nucleotides over and over and over again. So TTAGGG. And those correspond to nucleotides, each one of those letters. So those six nucleotides get just constantly placed. And then you've got your entire sequence of telomere or DNA that is non-coding. And all that does, as far as we know so far, is that it is a protection against when the cell replicates, when the entire cell goes through cell division, that it can cut off pieces of this non-functional DNA and it's no, it's not a problem. Now, why does this occur? What occurs because of the primers that I mentioned earlier, at least one of the thought reasons is because of the primers that I mentioned earlier. So because the primer gets placed at the very end potentially of this, uh, of this DNA, for some reason, the D DNA polymerase, once the, the primer is taken off, the DNA polymerase doesn't necessarily come in and, uh, and stitch new nucleotides in. So then you have what's called an overhang. So the leading strand, which I mentioned, doesn't just gets replicated no problem by DNA polymerase, it just chugs along. The leading strand ends up longer than the lagging strand. As such, the cell cuts 
that piece of DNA off. And that's why we have the end replication problem. Because with every cell division, it continues to cut that tiny section of DNA. Now, of course, if it happens enough times, then uh, you get an incredibly truncated, uh, extremely short telomere. Now, the problem with that is like once it gets to a point where it's so short, one, it destabilizes, meaning that uh, typically what you would have is a protein complex that binds to, to the telomere and kind of holds it in place, kind of makes sure that it doesn't get damaged or whatever it might be, called shelterin. So you'll have less shelterin, which is that, that protein complex, uh, binding to the telomere, and then that leads to, to instability of the telomere. That instability, as well as the fact that it's been shortened so much, essentially ends up leading to signals to the cell to enter senescence. Because it would, the cell would rather, again, not that it's thinking, these are all biochemical processes, but it's a good way to explain things. Um, the cell would rather enter senescence than for it to continue to divide and then cut into its coding DNA. Because as it goes down, it's going to continue cutting pieces of DNA. So that is one of the major reasons why cells enter uh, this, <clears throat> this senescent state. So this is incredibly important and it's probably the driving reason as to why cells enter senescence from an aging standpoint. But it isn't the only reason why uh, cells might enter a senescent state. So there are other things that affect senescence. For example, if there is issues with uh, what's called proteostatic dysfunction, which is uh, proteins and an accumulation of different proteins, non-functional proteins, misfolded proteins. Uh, the degradation of proteins is not as effectual as it normally would be. Things like that that ultimately lead to, I hate to use the word almost, but like a toxicity inside the cell. Then the cell will just shut down its protein machinery, uh, protein production machinery like mTOR, and go into a senescent state. So that is not necessarily due to DNA, that's actually due to the health state of the cell itself. So as I mentioned, mTOR is associated with a variety of different cell processes in the past that we've certainly covered. Um, it senses nutrients, it's there for protein synthesis, fat synthesis, uh, autophagy, metabolism, all kinds of things. But it, you know, through that, it actually also has an effect on senescence. Um, so it can lead to, it can regulate what's known as SASP, S-A-S-P, which is senescent associated secretory phenotype. So mTOR actually has control over some of these pro-inflammatory uh, molecules that I mentioned earlier, right? Senescence is associated with pro-inflammatory. So mTOR, if it is affected enough, it can lead to the production of more of these pro-inflammatory molecules which then gets released from this cell and leads to one, senescence of the cell uh, because of the production of these molecules and as well as potential senescence of neighboring cells. So it has, mTOR has a, a lot of different uh, control and it can also lead to growth arrest, which is uh, the hallmark of senescence, right? The lack of division. 
So another one is uh, sirtuins. So uh, sirtuins, which uh, you may have heard of before, I believe. I, oh, actually, you know what? <laughs> I, I have never released content on sirtuins, but uh, either next week or the, the following week, I will be having content coming out on sirtuins, specifically related to ketones um, on the hot button uh, paper that everybody keeps uh, grilling me over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, I will be having some content. It's going to be discussing sirtuins. And sirtuins are these proteins that in this situation, there are a number of different sirtuins, but in this situation are proteins that deacetylate. So they, they make a modification to other proteins uh, by removing a, an acetyl group. You don't really need to know what an acetyl group is we're, uh, you probably don't really care about the, the chemistry of it, but the point is that you have an acetyl uh, molecule that's bound to a protein, and sirtuins will remove the acetyl group from this protein. Now, what is that protein? I'll be going into this in more detail uh, in a future podcasts on senescence, but that protein is P53. Now, if, if you know anything about cancer research, P53 is probably like the holy grail protein that a lot of cancer research has been focused on because p53 is so important as a matter of fact that your your cells continuously produce p53 and then degrade it just get rid of it so it produces it and then gets rid of it produces it and gets rid of it over and over and over again why would the cell spend that much energy on this one protein or any protein that is of that importance the reason being is that P53 is a anti-cancer protein. That's one of its functions. So P53 is a protein that will bind genes that are anti-cancer and uh, allow them to be produced, so allow them to be read. And it will shut down cancers that are kind of pro-cancer, also known as oncogenes. So sirtuins are antagonistic to senescence. Um, so when they, when they deacetylate P53, they lead to its further uh, degradation. So usually when you get the, the upregulation of P53, as we'll discuss again in future podcasts, when you have high levels of P53, the, the cell will enter senescence, will shut down. So if you have high levels of P53, uh, this typically means that, well, it could mean that the cell th believes in some way, some biochemical processes have occurred where it thinks that, not that cells think, <laughs> it thinks that uh, the the cell is may become cancerous. So it's kind of a precancerous state. It's have too much damage or whatever it might be, and therefore it needs to enter uh, senescence to stop that whole process, to shut that all down. So P53 is incredibly important for senescence, but it's also important against cancer in, in, and it has control over uh, metabolism and a bunch of other things as well. So sirtuins control, help control P53 levels. And if P53 levels get high, then senescence is engaged. So, and then other mechanisms are like the activation of like MAP kinase proteins, which you don't really need to know a whole lot about. It's just essentially a series of different proteins that, uh, also lead to the reading of particular genes within the cell. So 
if that is some of them are upregulated by oxidative stress, so damage that's occurred to the DNA, uh, telomere loss, which is what we just went over, or oncogene activation. So if particular genes that are oncogenic, meaning pro-cancerous, are, uh, are upregulated or read a whole lot, then that can lead to activation of these MAP kinase uh, proteins, which will then shut down the cell and lead to senescence. Uh, one example of this is like P38. Um, I know these these names are like P53, P38. They try not to get too too, uh, not try not to go too overboard with how they're going to name. You know, it's not like they're called like Fluffy Dog 63 or something like that. It's uh, we have to. Although scientists do love to get a little creative sometimes uh, when they discover a protein, um, there are governing bodies now that say, okay, I mean maybe kind of. On your own, you can call it whatever you want, but like in the literature, please refer to as this because we don't want everybody just having all these weird, weird names. So, uh, and P38 and these other map kinases reduce uh, the proliferation or cell division as a whole and growth as a whole. Okay, so that's kind of an introduction on kind of the things that, the factors that drive senescence, what senescence is, Etc. Etc. Now, just as a quick kind of conclusions, kind of not that there are really any takeaways from this, but some of the conclusions here are that senescence is a permanent loss of mitosis or cell growth, cell division, and that is its defining feature. Although there are other features as well, senescence is classically known to occur when cells reach the end of their cell division life. However, that's not the only time. Um, which occurs due to a loss of the telomeres, which are at the ends of the chromosomes. However, senescence, like I said, can also occur from too much DNA damage or cell damage as a whole, uh, which is detected and controlled by molecular mechanisms like the P53 that I outlined, which binds many genes to stop the cell cycle. Cell cycle being uh, the growth phase, and then the DNA synthesis phase, and then another growth phase, and then the actual division of uh, the the uh, two cells from one cell to two cells. Okay, hopefully you found this informative, uh, just kind of interesting. Again, I'm kind of setting things up for uh, future content to discuss senescence uh, because it is a wildly interesting topic, and there are certainly papers that have come out that have kind of created some intrigue related to senescence and senolytics and things like that. So uh, I'll be sure to cover that in the future. Thanks for stopping by and I'll catch you in the next one. Have a good one guys. See ya.